So I got our friend Mark Copeman's book. Yeah, and, I have mine. Yeah, we've talked about this. I'm quoting this book, which is which is really good. I don't. I, I like that I'm quoting here, right? I'm on page two hundred five, and I talk about mergers and acquisitions. And this is a really funny story, which is that um, somebody had posted on uh, LinkedIn about the book and said, "Oh my God, Justin, you and I like we have the same book recommendation, software recommendation." So I have in here my book recommendation is oversubscribed by Daniel Priestley, and my software recommendation was Halo PSA. And I, I scroll back a couple pages, I'll go back a couple pages, and I see this person had the exact same book recommendation, software recommendation. The problem is I've never read Oversubscribed by Daniel Priestley, and I wasn't using Halo when I gave Mark my suggestions. So clearly there's a typo. Someone like accidentally put this other guy's book suggestion and software suggestion uh, in my section because I didn't know that. But you know what? I love Halo now, and I've never read Oversubscribe, but maybe I will. What page are you? 106? Uh, I think it's 166. 166. 166. Here we go. Invoice as often as possible. Eric Anthony, all things MSP. Change One of the things I discovered while running my MSP was the invoice as often as possible. I'm going to read this like as if it's a sultry sex story especially for the smaller MSPs. The tendency to invoice once a month, and this has become a huge issue the moment you begin to hire employees because there's a gap between work done, the payroll paid, the work invoiced, and the payment received. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I can't keep going. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Things MSP Podcast. I am your host, Justin Oscar. As always, with me is my good friend, podcast producer extraordinaire, pirate, uh, co-host, friend to all animals, Mr. Eric Anthony. Eric, what's shaking? I actually get to dress up as, well, kind of a pirate tonight. Uh, I'm technically, tonight, I am an ex-pirate called Sea Leg Sam. Okay. Yeah, it, it's a murder mystery birthday party pirate. Oh, thing. okay. I didn't know where you were going with this, yeah. and I was really in my head. I was going like, the listeners are not gonna. No, that's... we've already lost them. We've already lost them in the first thirty seconds. Oh, are you kidding? After that, you know, it, it's only gonna go up from here. Yeah, exactly. Murder mystery parties are fun. I haven't had one since I've been thirteen years old. Um. Uh, see, if you're not watching the YouTube, youtube.com slash at all things MSP, you don't get to watch Eric giving me like dirty looks. Um, but you're listening to this in your car. So pull over and go to youtube.com and then look for the all things MSP and then look for the dirty look that Eric's going to have as the thumbnail of this episode, uh, where we talk. Uh, so, you know, a lot of stuff's been happening. It's, it's towards the end of the year. People are starting to plan for next year, their, their businesses and what they're going to do. And, you know, something that's been on our radar a lot lately has been, the talk around compliance. And like the problem here is that compliance is such a broad topic. And I know a lot of a lot of other MSP shows are talking about this. And I feel like we really should cover it also because we do want you, the loyal listeners, to like get ahead of this one. Um, if you're not thinking and talking about compliance with your clients now, this is the immediate time to start. But we're going to kind of dive in a little bit today about, you know, What does it mean for a client of yours to be in compliance? What does it mean for you to be in compliance? What does it mean for your clients, clients to be in compliance? There's 
the problem is that it just trickles. It's trickled down compliance. Uh, it's Ray, it's Reagan Reagan appliances. Um, this is a joke. This is a good joke for anyone who's in their like mid forties who gets this Reagan joke. But if you're or younger older. than I am, or older, if you're younger than I am, just giggle. Uh, so here's my here's my thing about compliance, right? <clears throat> the the problem with compliance in general is that it's it's such a broad topic and it and on a regular basis a client can be out of compliance for literally anything because there's so many different services and there's so many different things we need to worry about right you have you have, excuse me you have the computers you have the chat you have your email you have your file share you have data storage you have uh, I don't know your network. You have your physical location. If you're if you're doing anything with credit cards, you have to have your you know certain network requirements. If you're doing anything with HIPAA, you have to make sure like everything's locked down and no one can get the thing. Like it it, it can it really can go down this rabbit hole if you don't know what you're doing. And let's be honest, man. Most of the people who are listening probably don't know what they're doing. They're just taking words of advice from people like us. And hoping for the best and i'd rather be more than that i'd rather just i'd rather the listeners like learn and like go do some research and figure this stuff out and we based on the things we're talking about and not just like taking our word for it so i'm hoping that's what's going to come out of today's episode yeah and that's why i i spent a little more time in preparation for this episode and i put together a a small slide deck that i think we'll kind of go through as we're talking about this today and I really intended it for just that purpose, Justin. I really okay. wanted it to be a place for them to start, not a comprehensive, this is what you do. Because everybody's situation is going to be different. Now, I think that this is critically important for a couple of reasons. And I didn't make a slide for this because I talk about this all the time. Uh, it's important because, number one, there's a risk to the client. Number two, there's a risk to you, the MSP. And it's not just a financial risk. There's other risks of reputation and all these other things that can come along with it that really mean that if you're not on top of this, you could literally go out of business if you had an incident and weren't prepared. And what yeah. all of this is, is it's not necessarily about preventing something from happening, right? It is figuring out, I mean, that's that's number one, right? Is trying to keep it from happening at all. Right. But number two, it's defensibility. And this is a concept that Matt Lee talked to me about, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I've got I've actually got it on video. And it's the idea that you need to be able to defend what you did. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of what you set up for your client's protection, for the protection of your systems that could be an entry point into their systems, if you can defend what you did, even if something happens, this is what, you know, is going to save your bacon. And, you know, case in point right now, right? You have, and, and full, full transparency, I used to work for SolarWinds MSP right? SolarWinds is in the news this week because SolarWinds and their CISO just got charged by the SEC 
for violating different SEC regulations around their disclosure of the SolarWinds incident uh, a couple years ago, right? That was what, three right. years ago it was announced. And it's all going to come down to whether or not SolarWinds or Tim Brown and or Tim Brown can defend what they did during that period of time. So, Justin, I don't know where you want to start with this. I kind of, you know, we've got a bunch of different slides. I think there's kind of an order to them. Um, do we want to start with the checklist that I had real quick, or do we want to go into uh, Virtua's five-point plan and then kind of go into the checklist? Um, I think we should start with the checklist, but I do want to start b before we do anything, which is that no matter what we talk about today, uh, you know, confirm with your lawyers. And if you don't have a lawyer, there are lawyers out there who specialize in compliance to make sure that your stuff is right. Because again, much you know, similar to what you said, it's, this is about defending yourself if you know something does happen. So before we get anywhere, right, before we give you a single checklist, before we give you a piece of information, make sure you have a lawyer, make sure you have someone who understands your contract, make sure your contract is solid, make sure that you're doing the things you say in your contract in the best of your ability and that you can prove that because you don't want to be on the other side of let's see it let's say an yeah. sec filing so i think we should start with the checklist that's your no. disclaimer that's my disclaimer yeah and i think it's it's very good i'm going to add that these are recommendations for you to go research and yeah. then apply yeah. don't take what we're telling you and then just apply that and think you're good do your own research first Right. All right. So let's start with the checklist. Uh, so <clears throat> I think let, let's just start with by defining the fact that most of the stuff we're going to talk about is your client's compliance, not yours as an MSP, but you taking care of the stuff for your client because they're the ones who typically need the compliance. You're not, it, you're not regulated by HIPAA. They are, and therefore you're going to take care of them. So let's, let's put that out there. So we have our, our checklist for MSP uh, uh, client compliance. And if you're not watching this again, go to youtube.com slash all things at all things MSP and you can see the slides. But this is a big one. Do they do business in a region that has privacy compliance regulations? I mean, show of hands, how many of you are in the EU and have to follow GDPR, right? And what's funny is how I have clients that are in the States that do mailings in Europe and we're like, you have to follow GDPR. And they're like, but we're not in the EU. And it's like, it doesn't matter. That's what their rule is. And it's understanding that. So so understanding uh, Regency, uh, uh, Regency, I mix region and privacy together. <laughs> Regional privacy compliance laws is majorly important. One of the big things that I, I think, every, we've talked about this a little bit that like, the the privacy laws in the United States, at least, are state by state. And I think by the, I, I thought it would be by the end of this year, I think it'll be by the end of 2024, that it's going to become a federal thing, as opposed to a state by state thing. So understanding that. Uh, know, are there I, Yeah. Well, I just, I just, because I just had this conversation with somebody, I think two days ago, about that very thing, right? I, I was at, talking to them. And it may, who was it? Oh, I was talking to Wayne Selk, the cybersecurity guy over at CompTIA. 
And he was saying that the federal government is actually, it seems, staying out of privacy law intentionally because the states are coming up with their own. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it's I was surprised because I, I literally asked the question like you just proposed it, that I assumed that the federal government was going to be doing something so they could yeah. collect all of these up and, and have one rule, because this is one of those things where you really shouldn't have a law in California affecting businesses in Utah. But it does, because just like you mentioned with GDPR, it's a law that protects the citizens of that state or that region. It's not about the businesses reaching into that area to do business. Right. And I think that California probably has the strictest, in my opinion. So I tend to just blanket all states with whatever California says. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't know if that's true or not. They've been around I, the longest, too. They've been around the longest, right? Yeah. So I just say, like, okay. And, and granted, our clients are in New York uh, for the majority of them. And when we get to my five point thing, what we do to check for compliance on our file share. But I always just follow the the California Consumer Privacy Act. So checking to figure out what region the, the rules are, that's really important. So our second thing we have is, are they in an industry that requires IT-related data, uh, data privacy, and security compliance? And, and clearly, if you're taking care of anyone who's in medical right there, you, you know the answer, it's HIPAA. But there's a lot of others. And... I've kind of gotten to the point where like, I'm not even sure what industries are and are not compliant. And so when we're picking up a new client, I don't care if they're a nonprofit, fintech, design firm, doctor, whatever, I will ask them, are you beheld to any sort of compliance? To which many small businesses, which is the type of business we take care of, go, well, I don't know, you tell me. And I go, I can't tell you, you should know this stuff. Obviously some of them are, you know, Easy doctors, HIPAA, dentists, HIPAA, fintech. I think has got something. Um, yep, a whole bunch. Like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. But like the problem is, and we'll get to this, is that there's so many different types of compliances that compliances, compliance, 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 compliances. Right. Compliances. Yeah, it's right. The first. It's not a Greek word. Um, it's Greek that. <laughs> it's not like octopi. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, shout out to my friend, David Farkas, who, when I was younger, when he was a, with his whole family, we used to call him the group of Farkai because he took that joke on for many, many years. Um, but like understanding <clears throat> what they're re responsible for, right? A great one. I think we already mentioned it was just like, if you run a retail business, you're going to be held to PCI DSS compliance because you run credit cards. So like there are things there that your clients probably don't know about. And I think if you as the MSP understand the broad strokes of, let's say the big five, uh, you'll be better off. Yep. And another thing to keep in mind when you were talking about that is also what industries do your clients serve? Because they may have waterfall requirements. I mean, that's what CMMC is, right? I mean, manufacturing yeah. itself doesn't have any requirements. But if they sell what they make to the federal government, especially the Department of Defense, there are definitely things that come in there. Yeah. And there, that's another big one, right? Because if you have clients that work with any branch of any part of the government, you probably have a lot of compliance things that you're even missing. I have, uh, we, were, we were talking to a potential customer who 
does work with the government and we were looking at the MDM on their phone and they were allowing data to leave managed apps and go into unmanaged apps. And I was like, I don't know what compliance you're beheld to, but right out of the gate, that seems like that this one here is something that needs to be locked down better because now you have the potential that governmental data could be leaving the system and things like that. And I don't even know which, which compliance they would be needing to follow. But I was like, let's just try to like hedge our bets on this one. So there's even there's like so many minute details and so many like pieces to it to understand what what's needed. It's again, the Reaganomics of compliance. It's not you, you're doing, you're taking care of your client, but it's your client's clients you need to be worried about. And then uh, the last thing you have on your, on your checklist here is, does the insurance carrier require any type of compliance? This I think is hilarious because the amount of people who have cyber insurance, like I guarantee you every MSP that's listening to this and in the all things Facebook group has cyber insurance. And if you don't go get it, but that part's irrelevant because I highly doubt any of them will be able to survive a cyber insurance case because they're not in compliance compared to what the cyber insurance requirements are. Yeah. And that's a, that's actually a selling point for your services, right? Because you are the person who can make sure that they are in compliance with most of those requirements from the insurance carrier. And yeah. again, it comes down to that defensibility that I talked about earlier. If you can defend that you were doing everything on that insurance insurance carrier's checklist, you're going to be able to defend that claim. And that's really what it comes down to, right? Is yeah. dollars and, and risk. And there is, hold on, there is a break point, right? Like the amount of risk versus the dollars gain. But at the same time, like, and again, depending on what industry you're in, your risk tolerance is going to be higher or lower. My graphic design firms who are doing stuff for Fortune 500 companies, their compliance risk is zero, right? Because they're just drawing pictures. But like, obviously, any medical companies we take in, many small doctor's offices, they have HIPAA and EMR, you know, and that risk is very, very high. And you don't want to root, you know, you don't want that getting out in the open. The other thing to think about when you're dealing with all of this stuff is looking at your client's software stack, because a lot of the time they're going to try to pass the buck on things. Mac practice is a major, major medical software for Mac users. And there's a version for doctors and a version for dentists. And I think a version for like vision or whatever it is. And all the data is stored in Mac practice. Ideally, if something were to go bad, it's Mac practice's fault. But at the same time, it's also the doctor's fault. And it's also the person who built their network and the person who takes care of their computers. So like all three of you will be named, you, your client, and, and the software could all get named in a lawsuit if something goes wrong. So just because the software says it says it says it's going to do something, don't believe it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, you know, you said something in there about, you know, who's at fault, right? Yeah. The problem is, is the client is always going to point back to the MSP, even yeah. if it's in your contract. Now, if it's in your contract, you know, and they declined something and they signed something saying they declined it again, that's defensible, right? right. And so that's, you know, those are the kinds of things that you need to cover, but you need to be aware that they're going to point the finger at you and you have to be able to point the finger back and have a piece of paper yeah. that says, 
I told how you. many how many times have we seen in the news like an MSP got crushed over the fact that a client of theirs who happened to be a big client look at the MGM breach I mean that MSP who fell for the breach that allowed them to get into MGM like they're out of business there's no way they're surviving this lawsuit like it's just not going to happen and there's plenty of MSPs who have gotten eaten alive just the same way because of these kind of like I wouldn't say simple mistakes, but they're just mistakes in general that need to be done. All right, so we have this we have this checklist, right? Check your business regions. Make sure you understand the laws. Um, you know, look check to figure out what industry they're in, and look at their cyber insurance. So I want to talk about something that we're doing at Virtua starting next year because it's already we're recording this. If you're not listening in order, we're recording this at the beginning of November of 2023. So by 2024, this is like our new kind of package deal that we're trying to sell for clients, new clients that are coming on board, where I know my clients well enough and I know what they're using. So these five points fit for us. Again, your mileage may vary and this is all advice, not legal. So the five points that we want to cover for our clients, we have our endpoints, email and chat, file share collaboration, and then we're doing a Inter we're doing a pen test, which will penetration test on the inside and external. And we're going to do vulnerability scan for external for things like that. Because in my mind, if I if we run those five things, we, we have a compliance checker for endpoints built into our RMM MDM software. We're using a third party tool for security and uh, encryption and anti malware, anti phishing, URL rewriting for emailing and, and chat. We use a, a really, really powerful file share collaboration that has a secure and governance component to it um, for the file sharing collaboration and a vulnerability scanner and a pen testing software. I, in my opinion, and I would love to get torn down by this one, but in my opinion, those five things are what are, is going to protect our clients probably the most, um, you know, moving forward. Now, the majority of my clients are graphic designers and nonprofits. They're not beheld to any sort of compliance. And if they are, the tools that we're implementing here, especially on the file sharing collaboration side, which we're using a secure and governance tool, and I keep saying that because that's literally the name of the tool, uh, is going, we're setting those things up to check for the things that they need to be checking for, right? So if they're if they're working in HIPAA, we're checking for HIPAA data. If they're looking for PCI data, we're looking for PCI data within their data sets and things like that. And then obviously there's the remediation of all the problems that are found. This isn't just like monitoring and sit back and watch all the alerts come in and do nothing. This is active active fixing right. when things are out of quote unquote compliance. Awesome. Um, and I think that's that's a really good stack. And this is one of those things that I think in preparation for 2024, like you talked about earlier, these are the things that people need to be thinking about to get ready for 2024. And the time to do it is now because to include the tools to do this is going to cost you money. Therefore, you're going yeah. to have to raise the prices on your customers as well. All right. That's actually one of the things about the vulnerability in the pen test is that like we're in the throes of like finding the right software and we we think we found it and and of course you know 
every company that's selling us is like, well, when, you know, when do you think you're going to close this deal? And I'm like, I don't know, because right now my thing is to try to sell it on my clients first, right? right? I want to find a client that's going to cover the majority of this so I can then make money on all my other clients. The software is going to, I'm not going to lie, the vulnerability scan and pen testing is expensive as hell, right? If yep. you, over the, sorry, let me rephrase. It's expensive as hell over the course of a year, right? The monthly isn't terrible, but I still want to make sure that I have a client who's going to be willing to put up that kind of money. And I did the same thing when we, and what's not on this list, because I think it's less as a compliant, more just security, is dark web scanning. When we first right. signed up with our dark web scanner, I think we were being charged like $300 a month. I sold dark web scanning per domain at $100 a month, and I was allowed, I think, 10 domains. So within my first three sales, I covered the cost, and the next seven was profit. I'm using that same sales mentality for the vulnerability in pen testing. I think it's going to cost whatever it is. Let's just say it's $10,000. It's not, but let's just say it's $10,000. If I could find someone who's going to sign on board for a vulnerability scan pen test twice a year at $5,000 a piece, because that's literally what they're worth for these clients, then anyone else I sell it to is, is gravy. Right. So that's a, it's a great extra offering and you don't have to be an MSSP to do this. Uh, you could outsource this to, you know, to cybersecurity firms. There's plenty of them out there. If you're a Talor's partner or a Sandler partners partner partner, there's plenty out there. Um, and we were using one for a long time. I just feel like if we can do it in house and make the money ourselves, we might as well. So that's kind of where we're going with all of this stuff. And I think we found a pretty good, like I said, our endpoint one is through our, 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 RMM MDM. And for the email and chat, I think I found a really awesome one that's if you're a if you're a PAX eight uh person, there's a, a good one that's in there that like the margins are literally like I was I can't do the math. If the if it costs two dollars and you sell it for four dollars, is the margin a hundred percent or is it fifty percent? It's a hundred percent, right? The margin is fifty. The markup is a hundred. Cool. So <laughs> that being said the 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 markup is 100 and the margins are 50 percent. it's not two dollars and four dollars i think it's more like five and ten but we found a really awesome tool that will do office and google which is important for us and slack and dropbox and box and sharepoint and teams and onedrive like one tool to rule them all which is really really nice nice um and then for the file sharing collaboration we already talked about that. so like okay. there's there's stuff that's out there yeah so that's our five point package that we're going to try to sell next year and i you know we're going to become those pushy salespeople because, hey, it's 2024. You need to be doing compliance. You got to be compliant yeah. for something. Yeah. You know, oh, no, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Like, so, stop being cheap and do it. Speaking of the different yeah. things that you need to make sure you recognize as things that your clients need to be compliant in, the next one is U.S. states with privacy compliance laws. So right now you've got California, Colorado, mm -hmm. Connecticut, Utah, Virginia, the states that are considering or have already introduced the legislation, they just haven't either passed it or it hasn't started yet, is Indiana, Iowa, Montana, Oregon, Tennessee, and Texas. Now, what's so important about this is these go east to west, north to south, right? Yeah. And so the neighboring states of these, because in most cases, these cover the protection of the citizens of the state. So if the citizens of the state are transacting with a business in another state, most likely these privacy compliance laws still apply just like they do with GDPR. 
So if you are in Colorado and you're next door to Wyoming, if you have clients in Wyoming, in Col or if you're in Wyoming and the clients are in Colorado, it could apply. So those yeah. are things that you need to take a look at. There's a couple um, other states. New York, I know New York has the New York Shield Act and there's one for New Jersey, but it's, it's probably something like the Gabagool or whatever because people <laughs> in New Jersey are stupid like that. Um, but like we said at the top of the show, the, the California Consumer Privacy Act is the, the longest standing one. And if you have clients all over the United States, always look for the hardest set of rules and just follow those, right? Yeah. Uh, I would say CCPA is probably the one to follow. This is also the reason why, similarly, all of a sudden, every website makes you accept cookies. Like, yes, I don't remember whose I don't remember whose law that was. It was somebody. I think that was part of GDPR, right? Like, it was all Either of a sudden now. Or the new CPRA from California. From California, right? Yeah. So, like, it's part of that. Um, so follow, try to follow their rules. Look up their information. I'm sure it's on Wikipedia. Uh, but if you're driving, pull over and and pull up your pull up your mobile browser and type in CCPA laws. Um, work around that methodology. That like yeah. if because if you if you're if you're following that and you're in, let's say Montana or or Oregon, you're covered. Now there might be some slight differences so make sure you do understand your local laws and again get a lawyer but if i think if you follow ccpa and i think that's a good i think that's a golden rule i think that's a good rule i don't know you do you agree with me um i mean for now yes i think that at some point even though the federal government isn't looking at this right now um i i just had a conversation with wayne selk over at comptia about this uh a week or so ago yeah there's going to have to be some type of compilation that says, if you follow all of these, you are following all the different ones for the different states. So it, it's going to get a little confusing as more and more states pile on different yeah, flavors yeah, yeah. of these compliance laws. Um, now, I also came up with a list of the international ones. I'm not going to read through these. Uh, if you want to, you know, go to YouTube, watch it fast forward to it, screenshot it, whatever. Uh, we will probably go ahead and uh, put a version of this at least uh, somewhere where you guys can download it and I'll include it in the show notes. Um, but that's it for those. I mean, I think the big one, the big one off this list that everybody knows or at least have heard of is GDPR. Right. And the rule here is that, uh, and Eric, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but it's that you can't just blindly uh mass mail somebody that's what started this was like you can't blindly mass mail people in the eu unless they i think if they have to double opt in right they have to sign up and then get a second email saying to confirm yeah, that they've it's something, like, something that. like that but it's also it's more than that because from the provider side from whoever's sending the information right you have to have the ability for that individual to send you a request to be removed and then be right. able to go in and remove those people. Now, this is really complicated because there are certain records that you have to keep on them, especially if they transacted with you. 
right? For tax reasons and legal reasons and, and all of those financial reporting reasons. But there are certain things where you need to be able to forget them. And so if their name and personal information is in a spreadsheet somewhere, technically you need to be able to find that and remove it. Um, right. And there are tools out there that can help you do that. And, um, you know, hit me up if you want to hear about one. But uh, in addition to that, you know, because we're, this is probably going to be one of our longest podcasts ever. And so we need to kind of get through some of this stuff quickly. But yeah. um, the next one is industries. You know, these are just a couple of the industries that I looked up. Um, financial services. We've already talked a lot about this. PCI, DSS, FINRA, healthcare, HIPAA. Uh, high-tech EHR certifications, uh, government and public sector, you know, doesn't even include CMMC on there. Uh, that's probably down aerospace and defense, ITAR, DFARS, NIST, all of those things for, for aerospace. But there's some for education. There's some for legal, pharmaceuticals, energy, telecom, retail. You know, almost everybody takes credit cards. So you have to be PCI DSS compliant. And yeah. so just a lot of different options there. Now, for you, Justin, are, are do any of these stick out to you in particular? Um, I mean, NIST is a big one uh, because we've actually, for a while, we were working with a securities firm and <clears throat> we were running our clients through a NIST framework to just say that they've done something, right? Because their clients were asking, like, have you done anything? And we can say we've done something. Now, for those who don't know, NIST is scored on a zero through five. There's 150 questions. And the, the weird thing is that like the questions don't match up to what my clients were doing, right? Like my clients who were doing market research or, or, or uh, graphic design or, um, you know, uh, website development or whatever it is, would go through this. And it was like talking about the deliverables as if the deliverables were like a physical thing being delivered as opposed to like a digital item or, you know, something like that. And so I had a client who got a 3.1 out of the gate. Now this client, uh, we do their file share with uh, Eric's product and securing governance. And we take a lot of time to make sure that they're, you know, single sign on is locked down and they're doing 2FA everywhere and they're doing all these things. And I was like, wow, 3.1, that's amazing. And then I ran another company through it and they got a 0.8. It's like 0 0.8. And I was like, oh, wow, these guys did really, really badly. But the securities firm who did it was like, actually, this is the average starting. That 3.1 was like a random fluke. Because I was so I was so taken aback by that sentence because <clears throat> it's not like the client who got the 0 0.8 was doing anything wrong, right? They had two-factor authentication on there, but they're a smaller firm and they're using, you know, a, a Dropbox or Box or one of those like online ones and email from Microsoft. And like, that's basically all they need. But there were so many pieces that were missing from like how they do things from a, from a, from a perspective. And I was just like, oh, I get it now that 0.8 is okay. And like, we've moved them up the ladder by doing certain things and putting certain things in place. But like the, them saying that they're NIST certified means zero because they're not doing stuff in the government public sector. But right. it was something to like keep an eye on. Well, so that was, NIST that was is one, one of those yeah. frameworks, though, that yeah, yeah, yeah. if you it's, it's the most complicated one, I think, right? 
It's one of the more complicated ones, which is why a lot of people go with CIS rather than NIST. Right. But, so our MDM RMM software just released a new compliance module, which is why we're going with it for next year. And the options we're given are, we can either monitor for CIS per OS, so uh, Mac OS, uh, I think it's like 12, 13, and 14 can do this. We can monitor for CIS, we can enforce CIS, it's two separate options, and it'll check like 84 different things. We can also monitor for NIST, and it's like 170 things, and we can't enforce on NIST, but like, there are things on there like you never even thought to think of because like some of this technology is outdated. Cause like, it's really funny. I accidentally opened up the DVD player application on my laptop the other day. Like Max haven't had DVD players in, I don't know, seven years, eight years. And the app still exists. But like in the CIS certification is disable the DVD, uh, disable CD and DVD sharing from the sharing preference in Mac OS, which still exists, even though not a single Mac device that ships right now has a CD player. So there's, there's no way for that thing to even function. It just, it's still baked into the OS. I, that's and not so, true. That's not true. Cause I could plug in my external that I still have in a box somewhere. Well, then you would be would CIS not compliant, obviously. Right. But only if but I shared it. Only if you shared it. But there's the point, right? Like, because you go to a, I go to a client and I'm like, ah, no one's got CDs here. We don't have to worry about turning that thing off. And lo and behold, someone pulls, you know, opens up a drawer and digs around in here. And then, oh, look what I found. I have an external USB CD drive or like, you know, a zip drive that's connected with 14 dongles to make it USB-C compatible or something. And, and then, then all of a sudden they're in CIS or even this not compliant. And so it was like an interesting thing to like realize like what's on this, like really how complicated this list yeah. is and what's yeah. on here of things that need to be stopped that out of the box, you wouldn't even think about, right? Because there are things in there like only root can access logs or something like that, right? Like, of yep. course it makes sense, but what if, if it's not, if it's not enabled properly, it doesn't count. So those are the ones. P PCI DSS is the is the big one for me. Yeah. Mainly because at our retail shop in Columbia, Missouri, we have to run a scan quarterly now. And we always fail because there's always some stupid hiccup. But the reality is, if you're going to run credit cards, even if you're using a POS system like Toast or um, Square or whatever it is, you want to make sure that the network that that device is on is on its own segregated network with like no one else on it and like all of these things. Because if it's not, you're immediately not PCI DSS compliant. And I was yep. like, well, damn it. You know, like that's another pain point yeah. and another cost to deal with. It's what VLANs are for. Yeah, you could do it on a VLAN, but but in reality, it should be on a completely separate. Like that's why we get cheap DSL for the shop. Well, for, there you go. They do that, but those are the big ones. A lot of these, I mean, because they're not in my industry. Like I don't know. I, I'm looking at this list here. I've never heard of ITAR or DFARS before because I'm not. There's there are no Macs in aerospace that are taken care of by an MSP. <laughs> <laughs> at least not that I know of. Um, Education's a big one, right? Isn't isn't um, COPA? That's the 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 Children Privacy Act, right? Yeah, yeah, like that's huge. If you're taking care of schools and you're not protecting the privacy of the children on there, because like it, like out loud, it just seems so like oh, like no duh, like protect the right. children. But like there are laws here that you need to follow and that the school needs yep. to follow in order to make things work, especially if you're doing 
work with charter schools or private schools. Right. They tend to not do like public school, they don't have a choice, right? You're mandated by the state. But private schools and charter schools, from my experience, tend to not even know what the laws are. Yeah. Um, and charter schools, in my experience, when I was an MSP, were cheap. Yeah. Like they didn't want to pay for anything. We were, I don't remember the name of them, and we're getting way off topic here, but we were using a device. It was a little device to look like a USB hub, right? Right. That you could use to share one computer to like six keyboards and screens. Right. And, you know, it, it was just virtualization, right? But yeah, it yeah. was, uh, anyway, I'm sure those are not compliant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what's not on here, though, that I think is a big one? Um, because this isn't a, this isn't a compliance standard from a technical standpoint, but, uh, SOC type two, because that's an accounting platform. And there are rules there that are unbelievably stupid. There were two that did not come up on this that I was surprised about. One was SOC two. The other one was the new FTC regulations around things like car sales. Um, yeah, it's, it's a thing. So if you have any dealerships, Justin, this is something you need to, to learn about. Um, but, but yeah, uh, so there are like, you know, the, this is not an exhaustive list. You need to find out about your clients. Um, yeah. okay. In the interest of time. Oh, um, our listeners love us. They'll listen to us talk for three hours if we had to. Yeah. But they, would you? If you do, leave us a review and let us know that you or put a comment on Facebook, facebook.com slash group slash all things MSB and let us know. Would you listen to us talk for three hours? We'd go through so much liquid death. Hashtag still not a sponsor in that episode if we had to do it. More more importantly, if you know what a zip drive is that Justin mentioned earlier, <laughs> because you've been doing this as long as we have. <laughs> but those things were the best. Well. Those things were the best. And then they oh, made yeah. the jazz drive. The jazz drive, the jazz yep. drive was the worst. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I I I think I finally threw out my last zip drive about two or three years ago. True story. We're off topic. When we moved, I was building out my new Mac museum, which you can't see because it's all the way on the angles there. And I had an old zip drive. And Michelle goes, Do you want this? And I go, Well, like it's an old piece of tech. And she goes, Yeah, but it's not made by Apple. And I was like, Oh, you make a point. And she just chucked it in the garbage. Yeah, but rightfully so. so. iOmega was one of those, though, where they were very equal in making sure that it was compatible with Mac and PC. Yeah, so I appreciated that. I appreciate that. All right, back on top. Yeah. (laughs) So So next we we talk about cybersecurity insurance questions. Right. Um, And like I said at the top of the show, right? Like if you're an MSP and you don't have cyber insurance, go get it. And then also read your policy and see what what you're going to be beheld to. And then this is a great thing to learn because you can help your clients get cyber insurance because at this point in 2023, every company should have cyber insurance. And if they can't get cyber insurance, this is great sales work for you, but that's another episode. Well, and the other thing about this is also remember that the cybersecurity insurance that you need as an MSP is different. You actually need additional insurance. um, And I think it, it's around the realm of errors and emissions, but it's a special error and emissions policy. So yeah. make sure that when you're talking to your insurance agents, you're not just talking about plain standard old cyber insurance. 
because you actually need more than than that. So right. right. You need a general, you need an ENO, you need cyber and you need your special and the special ENO cyber. E E and O C I <laughs> I don't know. I when it comes to insurance providers, I know that this topic has been brought up a lot, especially in the Apple side of who's a good insurance provider. Um, and for a long time, I had the Hartford and I liked them. And then I moved from the Hartford to, oh, the name is escaping me. But we, because we grew to a specific size, we had to leave that company. And now we're with uh, Chubbs, uh, commercial insurance, insurance. And, you know, they're, they have their Chubbs has got everything you need. Um, but I think it's like, if you're less, if you're making less than a quarter million a year, I think it was the cap for whoever we were with beforehand, um, yep. which I'll, it'll come to me or I'll leave it in the show notes. So I, some I, of the common, some of the common questions that, you know, are going to be on those forms. What kind of data do they have? How do they collect it? Where do they store it? You know, those kinds of things, other generic security questions around, you know, users or, what applications they're using. Are they cloud applications? Are they local applications? Is there physical security around the file server or the server room? Most times not because it's in a closet that's not locked. Um, Backup and recovery. What's your backup and recovery plan? Incident response. This is different from backup and recovery because this is what you're going to do in the case of something where it's not just data loss, right? You actually have an intruder. How do you make sure you've got them kicked out? How do you make sure that you respond to whatever they had access to? Because that's another important thing. Knowing exactly what they had access to is critical when you're reporting this to whatever reporting agency or entity that you have to do it for. MFA, okay? Turn it on, leave it on. Don't let anybody not have MFA. Please, you know, everybody's preaching this from, from every corner of the earth. It's important, right? Because most issues that we see these days is low-hanging fruit, and it's because MFA is not turned on. Yeah. The other side of that is user auditing. Make sure you have an audit trail for exactly what every user did. Um, BYOD policy. You know how many how many small businesses just give the Wi-Fi password to their employees so they can connect their phones to the internet while they're in the office. Yeah. That's a no-go set up. If you want to provide that for your employees, set up a separate wireless network on a separate VLAN so that that stuff is, you know. Can separate. I just interject? This is the one reason why I love Meraki gear, because you can easily set a wireless to be the Meraki DHCP as opposed to the local LAN. It's one click and boom, you're covered. Yeah, yeah. Um, suspicious activity policy. What is your policy around not just suspicious things happening with the computers, but suspicious things happening physically to the environment, right? People coming in, people saying that they're from the phone company and they want to get to the phone room, which a lot of times is where the server equipment is. You know, just like a lot of this is, you know, social, um, you know, social engineering. Yeah. Social engineering type breaches. That's another version of social engineering, right? Is coming in and convincing the secretary that you're from the phone company and getting access, physical access to the equipment. And then of course, employee training and testing. Uh, that's a big one. There's a lot of companies out there that do that now. I know a lot of MSPs are including that uh, to make sure that, you know, it's just harder to fish 
your employees. So going down this list, I mean, as an MSP, a lot of there's a lot of things on here that are sellable items to people, right? If you know what you're doing, you can write a BDCR backup to backup continuity discover um, disaster recovery plan for a client. You can write an IRP for a client. It might not be the most in depth one, and please stop using ChatGPT. But you can write one um, if you have the guise of like who to call, when something happens, what's happening, and what are the steps involved with that, and lay out a couple of examples. You know, if the file share gets breached or someone breaks into the building, if there's terrorism or a hack or something like that, do those things. Um, you can make pretty good money writing those things um, and doing that. The, the 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 suspicious activity policy, you know, about the about the social engineering. You remember the movie Hackers from like 1995? Of course. Like the first, yeah. So the first scene when the guy is now 18 years old, he calls the television network and he calls the dumb security guard. He's like, oh, Bob, read me the numbers on the modem there. It's the little white thing with the blinky lights. And the guy just reads the phone number. Like if you think that just because internet is not done over a modem now that people aren't still that stupid, like it happens all the time. This is how people get fished for tens of thousands of dollars because they think they're paying for Google Play gift cards or, you know, because their iCloud account got locked and Apple's calling them at 11 o'clock at night. Like that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. And you need to have written policies to talk about what to do and how to remediate both the act of and the, and the, uh, the post of what happened that covers you and that allows the cyber that way they know you're doing the right steps whether or not they do it or not is a different story but again like you said in the very very top of the show it's about proving in a case of a law that like yep. these steps were proposed to be followed or we've written the law we've written the rules for them or we've written an sop for them to do these things whether or not the client did it or got us involved or even told us that the breach happened is a different story yep um okay so um, next common frameworks to start with. We've mentioned two of these, um, and there's more. These are just kind of the most common ones. So we talked about the NIST cybersecurity framework. We yeah. talked about CIS controls. We talked about kind of the differences between the two. Then you also have ISO 27001, 27002. Uh, those are kind of more international, uh, of course, because NIST is National Institute of Standards and Time. That's definitely a U.S. thing. Uh, so but these are great places to at least get an idea of the big picture of what you should be covering. And of course, all of these are available. You can just Google these and, and find them. And like Justin said, a lot of these tools are coming with compliance tools built in so that you can start to monitor and control the different aspects of these frameworks. Yeah. Use them. That's what they're there for. Yep. And then, you know, Cybersecurity Trustmark by CompTIA. It's uh, it's big. It's new. Uh, if you don't know, they just came out with a new version of the Cybersecurity Trustmark. And this is something that if you want to kind of comply with an industry standard that is current, uses some things from both those control sets, I think and uh, can give you a lot of guidance, that's a place to look as well. Of course, I always like to plug uh, my friends over at CompTIA. Oh, I, and that I, is the end of the slideshow. 
I'm wondering when uh, there's going to be an MSP compliance regulatory ruling. You know what I, I mean? I think like, it's coming. I think it's coming also with everything that's going on and so many like it. And it's not your fault, right? It's not your fault. Person who's listening to this show because you, you know, you might be a small company and taking care of some like small to medium sized businesses. It's the fault of the people who got MGM breached or who let Home Depot get breached or who let whoever like they got a little too big for the bridges, I guess. But the, the, the truth is that like somewhere along the line, there's going to be regulatory that we're going to have to follow. So we've talked about this in another episode, eat your own dog food, uh, run your own, you know, all the devices that you have within your company should be in your RMM and your MZM run compliance on those. Make sure you have two factor on and everything. We just, it's funny. Cause I just put this on our, um, we have a, a thing in our team ClickUp called audits and I was just poking around because we had let somebody go and I, 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 I looked and I noticed that a couple of people didn't have two-factor authentication on their ClickUp. And like ClickUp is like the last place anybody would try to break into. But like it's another thing. And I'm like, guys, two-factor on everything. We're now going to audit every tool that virtually uses to make sure that everybody's using two-factor and that it's enforced, not just, you know, maybe. Because we can't risk that either, right? If you're not going to eat your own dog food and not put two-factor authentication on everything that you have as an MSP, how do you expect your clients to do it? Yep. Right? I will say one funny anecdote story, which is somebody that we both know, and I'm not going to mention who, uh, they were at ACES conference in Kansas City years ago, and they were logging into a system, and they got prompted for a two-factor code, and they used Authy on the computer of which the thing was asking for the two-factor code. And I was like, doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose? And they were like, yeah, but Avi has its own password. I was like, but you didn't put it in. He's like, oh, no, because I have it saved in the keychains. <laughs> and I was like, dude, yeah, come yeah. on, man. Yeah, um, no, I get it. And that's why things like YubiKeys are important. And yeah. uh, we we actually, we I think we have him scheduled. We have the CEO of YubiKey scheduled oh, really? to come on cool. here in a couple of weeks. And so uh, that should be an interesting show. But yeah. Um, yeah, Justin, you're absolutely right. Compliance starts in your organization and then goes out from there. Uh, because especially as IT services providers, we're actually a big risk to our own clients because we have the keys to the kingdom. And actually, to your point about legislation or standardization of the MSP industry, uh, Louisiana, I believe, is actually the first state that requires certain standards for MSPs who are working with the state government in Louisiana. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, see, it's coming. So go get yourself secure, follow some laws. Uh, again, this entire episode, I'm gonna bookend with like, speak to your lawyer, speak to a compliance lawyer, there's plenty of them out there. And just make sure that you're getting, you're covered to protect yourself and then to protect your clients. This way you can just push, you can sell it on your clients as well. There's opportunities here as an MSP to protect yourself. There's opportunities here as an MSP to make some money. There's opportunity opportunities here for your, for your clients to be protected. And then you could also show your clients how to make money by letting their clients know that they're protected because that'll help draw more business to them against somebody who's not protected. So there's a lot of avenues here you can take. Uh, it's been a pretty long episode, Eric. I think this is a good place to end. Uh, you have anything else you want to say about security and compliance? Just that 
it's not a nice to have anymore. I think everybody knows that. There are tools yeah. out there. There are people out there. Justin and I, we're not experts on this. We rely on other people, right, to give us information. And if you need access to those people, one of the things that All Things MSP is about is making sure that you can connect with the people in our industry who know what they're talking about, who are actual security experts who can answer your questions. So if you need those types of connections, reach out to either one of us. We both know plenty of people who you could reach out to and get additional information from. In all fairness, I don't know anybody, but I know you and you know a lot of people, so I'll just go that way. If you are looking for Eric and I, check us out in facebook.com slash group slash all things MSP to join the group. That's where all the action is happening. Follow us on YouTube, youtube.com slash at all things MSP. Don't forget to ring the bell for notifications, like, subscribe, all that stuff. Find us on all of your podcast apps. Don't forget to give us a five-star review. Leave us a one-star review. We just like reviews. We don't care. Even write something nice or write something hurtful. It's fine by us. We have thick skin. That's it for Eric and I. Until next time, bye. From your host, Justin Escar, and myself, thank you for listening to the All Things MSP podcast. Join the All Things MSP Facebook group or follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. The All Things MSP podcast is a BizPow LLC production. And even though we drink a lot of it, this podcast is still not sponsored by Liquid Death.